A reading from the Gospel of Luke. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The word of the Lord. At first glance, we might say that the rich man is sent to punishment because he's rich. But that would be wrong. The key to this parable is Abraham's speech when he says that a person must hear Moses and the prophets. It's not some sign sent back from the dead. It's not. If this story is to do its work in our lives, it must be something more than a small moral tale about how bad it is to be rich Did you hear 1 Timothy that Shirley read to us earlier? Didn't say it was bad to be wealthy. Bad to love money too much. That's what it says. It's not about how bad it is to be wealthy and how good it is to be poor. Let's take a vote on that right now. How many of you believe it's bad to be wealthy? None of us, right? Really hearing the story depends on us identifying with the remaining siblings. There are five of us left. What do we need to learn from our brother, our dead brother? He's called dives by some, which is simply Latin for rich man. The first is that there's nothing wrong or godless about wealth. Nor is there anything particularly righteous about being poor. But at the beginning of the parable, we can't help but notice that this guy is dressed to the nines, right? 
and no fast food. We're talking the fatted calf every day. But he's not particularly cruel, is he? We never hear him ordering Lazarus away from the gate. No report that he curses him or kicks him. Likely he's, a, he's a, an upstanding, decent man in the community. His problem is this. He lives for the moment. He lives for himself and himself alone. And that's a small, small, small world in which he lives. Narcissists live in small worlds regardless of their material wealth. Perhaps, perhaps he's frightened and uncomfortable in the presence of Lazarus and and his kind. So, so he manages never to really see Lazarus. His world revolves around himself. You know, I think that's a good part of our problem in our country is that we are so concerned about me and mine that we never welcome the other. We never see the other. And there's great unrest and pain in our nation because we don't. And great unrest and pain in our lives because we don't. And while we're the surviving siblings, we're not unlike our brother Dives, are we? We're rich in so many ways, regardless of our bank account. We all face the same question We all face this question, do we despise or ignore or totally miss our brother Lazarus and let him stay at the back door? We are rich, rich because we're loved, we're relationally rich, we're intellectually rich, all of us are rich. And let's not rush to Lazarus' side too quickly and call the the rich man a no-good scoundrel. The truth is we have a lot more in common with the rich man than Lazarus, right? Besides, Lazarus is not the focal point of the story at all. It's the six brothers, one of them now dead. Our dead brother sold out far too cheaply. He could have had the real thing. He could have had authentic, real life, but he settled for some cheap imitation. He lived for the moment. He lived for himself. And you know, at some point it comes to an end. It never dawns on those who live for the moment that it's going to end, but it does. And the tables are turned, and drastically so, right? Send Lazarus to comfort me. Send Lazarus to my five five brothers and warn them about the horrible consequences of living in the way that I lived. Finally, finally, Dives is concerned about others. But even now, it's me and mine, isn't it? Never really seeing Lazarus other than as a means to an end. So what does Dives want? Send somebody back from the dead and then they'll believe. We want signs, but signs don't redeem. Frederick Beekner reminds us 
They may terrify, but they're soon forgotten. Haven't you ever wondered, God, why, why, God, don't you give us a little display? Show us that you really exist. Why don't you rearrange the stars one night and all of a sudden we could read the sentence in the sky, I exist. And then, God, people would flock to church. They would believe. I dare say that this sanctuary was pretty full on September 16th, 2001. The Sunday after 9-11, the one where I served, we had a bumper crowd. Didn't last long, though, did it? Didn't last long. Because one night someone would say, so what? What difference does it make? What difference does it make? And so it wouldn't amount to much. It still wouldn't answer our deepest needs. No, the message that we need to hear comes in the everydayness of life, in the humdrum, helter-skelter events of the day, those little inner skirmishes that we have with ourselves about being faithful. God speaks to us by saying, look at that Lazarus over there. Be merciful. Feed my lambs. Press on towards the goal. He's hungry. Feed him. She's thirsty. Give her a drink. That's the sign that God gives us. It's found every day as we walk through life. It's there in Scripture. It's there in that deepest longing of our hearts that the world tries to fill with things. But that God-shaped emptiness will not be filled with things. Dive's downfall is not that he's rich, but rather in his total and utter disregard for Scripture, the failure to listen to the still small voice within him, and his attempt to fill that emptiness with things that won't satisfy. Signs are all around us, within us. Are we willing to second, settle for second, third, fourth best? Where are we? Those of us remaining, Lazarus and Dives, the rich men, are, are dead, and we're remaining. Ambling down the broad road of life with future in front of us, or maybe old and worn out, but still living for ourselves and what we can grab and what we can control. Max Lucado tells the story. There you were leaning against your pickup in the West Texas oil field. You were the engineer, the, the supervisor. Your khakis and your clean shirt set you apart from the rest of us in the oil field pecking order. We were at the bottom. You were the boss. We were the workers. You read the blueprints. We dug the ditches. You inspected the pipe. We laid it. You ate with the bosses in the shed. We ate with each other in the shade. I remember that day wondering, wondering why you did it. We weren't much to look at or listen to either. Our language, <laughs> it was sandpaper coarse. After lunch, we'd light cigarettes and begin jokes. Someone always, always brought a deck of cards. And, and so for 30 minutes in the heat of the day, our little oil patch became Las Vegas. Replete with foul language, dirty stories, blackjack, and lunch pails that doubled as bar stools. In the middle of one of those games, you approached us. You were nervous. 
shifting your feet from shifting your weight from, from one foot to the other, you begin to speak. Uh, uh, fellas, um, I, 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 I just want to invite, well, obviously you were out of your comfort zone. I had no idea what you might say. I, 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 I just wanted to tell you that uh, uh, our, 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 our church is having a service tonight. What? Talking about church out here with us? I, I, I just want to invite any of you to, to come along. Silence. Screaming silence. The same silence you would hear if a nun asked a madam if she could use the brothel for a mass. The same silence you'd hear if an IRS IRS agent invited the mafia to a seminar on tax integrity. Several guys stared at the dirt. We shot glances at at others. Snickers arose just, just inches from the surface. Well, well, the, that's it. If, if, if any of you want to go, you, j- just let me know. After you left, we turned and laughed. We called you preacher and the pope. You became the butt of that day's jokes. I'm sure you went back to your pickup knowing the only good you'd done was to make a good fool out of yourself. If that's what you thought, if that's what you thought, you're wrong. What you did that day, a few years later, became one of the reasons I decided to follow Jesus. Today, Max Lucado was one of the most influential Christian writers and speakers of our time. Signs every day No earth-shattering signs, none at all. Do you see the need? Do you see the emptiness within you, in front of you? No miracles in the the clouds, only a nudge here or there, an invitation here and there to this, an emptiness that won't be filled with all the junk you throw at it. We have the word made flesh, who became one of us as poor as Lazarus, says John, and that must be enough. He was a professor at a theological college in India, decided to take his class to one of the villages some distance from the college so that students could get practical experience sharing the gospel. It was common in that little village when strangers came for all the people to gather around them to see who they were and why they were there. A student read about the birth of Jesus. Another told about Jesus' love and his great acts of love for humankind. Another read about Jesus' death and resurrection. After they finished, the elder of the village motioned to the professor Come here. 
How long ago did this happen? Well, about 2,000 years ago. What in the world took you so long to get here and tell us? We're the five who are left. You and me. We know the story. And part of our journey together this coming year, part of our lifetime journey is to figure out how we can know the story better, how we can tell the story more effectively, how we can live the story. Because isn't that what we're about as the people of God and the church of Jesus Christ? Why is it taking so long to tell? Why? Why? Amen. We sing together hymn 278. Katie will greet you. She will stand in front of the cross. There's an invitation printed in your worship folder. And Katie would be glad to welcome you into this church or receive your confession of faith in Christ. Please stand as we sing. Today, we send 
our awesome apostles to Australia. Tony and Margaret Cupid, today is their last Sunday. And if you can think of another A to add to that, we'll add more A's, all right? Uh, Tony and Margaret, thank you for your presence and your ministry. Uh, you have stood in this pulpit many times before. Blessings to you as you head to Australia. Uh, we will look forward to your return. Invite you to remain for the birthday party, and Tony and Margaret will be there, and you can express your personal appreciation for their presence and ministry. And now may God bless you. May Christ save you, and may God's Holy Spirit bring healing, healing to you and all your relationships in the name of God our Creator, Christ our Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit our Comforter. Go in God's peace. Mm -hmm.